But yeah, we just want to pray and bless him. He's going to be up there, I think, another day or two, and he's just there doing worship and doing what he does. Um, but he'll be back next week, and we just want to bless him while he's over there because he's, he's doing some good stuff. Um, the next thing, if you can't hear it in my voice, is that I am momentarily between healings right now, uh, which means you might need to bear with me a little bit. Um, but I'm excited because I think that uh, the Lord has stuff for you tonight. Um, and I certainly didn't want to back out of that. <laughs> and so I hope you don't want to either. Um, because I think he has a plan for tonight. You know, And I, I think it's so much more than the words I could try to say tonight. And so much about just how good his Holy Spirit is. And how good he is. And how much he's with us and with you. And it doesn't even have to do... It doesn't have anything to do with my words sometimes. It can just be about how he wants to encounter you tonight. And that's why we're here. That's why we're gathering as church. That's why we're gathering. It's because we want to draw closer together and we want to draw closer to him. And I assure you, he's in perfect health. <laughs> so anyway, I'm just going to pray real quick. Dear Lord, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you for your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy, Jesus. I just pray that right now, Lord, you just give us open hearts and open ears to just hear what you're doing tonight. I pray that you tug at our heart, God. I pray that you remove lies, and I pray that you just remind us who you say we are. I just thank you so much, Lord, for how good you are. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Ah, I'm excited. My voice might not sound like it, but I promise I'm very excited right now. Um, and I just want to start, I was just thinking this week about home movies. Yes. How many of you guys, do any of you guys have home movies? Yes. You guys? I'm, talk, I'm talking like the VHS cassettes that are like, you remember those? Yes. Oh man, I love it. Um, I was just thinking about that earlier. I was thinking about home movies. Um, and I was thinking about like this Mother's Day, or it was like around Mother's Day. I don't think it was on the actual day. Um, it was around Mother's Day, and I went over just to see my mom. It was like her day off. I'm kind of a mama's boy, and I'm like not ashamed of that, because just trust me, if you met my mom, you'd get it. Um, but yeah, it was around Mother's Day, and I went over to just spend some time with her. Um, my brother was out of town, my dad was at work, and so it was just her and I. And uh, I was like, Mom, it's like Mother's Day weekend. What do you want to do? I can, I'm like, I can do some work around the house. We can go out to lunch. Like, what do you want to do? And he, she was just like, you know, your cousin just digitized all our home movies. So we just, we have them all. And like, I would love to just watch some with you. And I was like, yeah, all right, let's do this. I haven't seen these in like a decade. There's some I haven't even seen at all. I'm like, let's just throw them in. And so we start these home movies. Bless you. <laughs> we start these home movies and it's so, it's so wild. You know, we start with this one where I'm like a one-year-old and I'm just like, kind of like weeble wobble walking through like just this little garden somewhere. Um, and I'm about as balanced as I am today walking around, which is not very good. Um, and it was just so funny. It was so funny seeing how I interacted with everything. It was so funny seeing how I responded uh, when my parents talked to me or when they picked me up or when they tried to just get me to do things. Um, and it was just pretty cool, you know. And it was funny, like, we throw some popcorn in, and we just kind of made an event out of it, my mom and I. And when one finished, we put in the next one. And then uh, before long, my dad, my dad got home from work. And he opens the door and he immediately looks at the TV and he just sees what we're watching. And he doesn't even shower, he, doesn't, he just like loosens a button on his shirt and he like sits on the couch. Um, and he just joins us, you know? And uh, you know, we're getting to this one part of the movie where I'm a little bit older, I'm like four, and my brother's now born and he's like moving around, a little critter himself. And like, my, 
And then, uh, yeah, I'm just like spastic. And like, I definitely know how to talk at this point. And I'm like trying to be the center of attention. And I'm like jumping in the video frame. I'm like pushing my brother out of the way. Like it's supposed to be his movie. I'm like, no, get out of here. Like pay attention to me. Dad, look at me. I am right here. Dad, look at me. Um, and you hear my dad holding the video camera, and it was one of those big, like, cassette, like, recorded things, you know, that has the full VHS tape in it. He's like, hey, watch out. Like, and I see, like, his hand, like, push me out of the way. He's like, we're trying to film your brother. What are you doing? And, like, my whole family just starts laughing. And then there's this one video where I just started to get kind of mouthy with my mom. They're, like, filming it in the background. And I'm like, oh, this is so bad. I'm like, they're actually filming me, like, being intense. And then I hear my mom go, like, you're grounded. I was like, no, I'm not. She's like, get to your room. And like, it was just this whole thing over the, over the home video. And I was like, oh, crap. And so I get sent to, like, a timeout in my room, right? And then, like, the rest of it is, like, they're recording the rest of my family. I think it's, like, Christmas or some of the holidays. And, like, every couple of minutes you hear in the background my little, like, high-pitched, squirrely voice going, like, can I come out yet? I'm good, I swear. And then like five more minutes, and then, can I come out yet, please? And then you hear one of my parents go like, no, get back in there. Um, and eventually they let me out. And uh, it's, just, it's just so funny. It was so funny watching it. It was so funny just seeing me like hamming it up and being ridiculous and getting grounded and letting out. And, and you know, there were some tender moments with me playing nicely with my brother. There were some cool moments. And we just watch all of these, you know. But I'm like struck by, I'm like, man, I was so obnoxious. And I, I say was in faith that I'm like, anyway. Um, but it was just so good watching it, you know? And it was kind of funny because then my mom like gets up and she's like, I think I'm gonna go take a nap. And she like goes into her room and my dad and I are just kind of sitting on the couch and we're now watching a movie again where I'm like a little kid and like, it's just my dad filming me and it's just me walking around. And I'm like watching my dad and he just has this like funny grin on his face and he's just like not even blinking. He's just watching this video. And it's just me, like, kind of trying to walk and, like, just figuring out what outside looks like. And I'm on the couch next to him, and he, I'm just looking at him, and he's watching me on the screen. And then he just looks at me, and he's just like, you know, Dominic, I don't know if I ever told you, but when you were about this age, Wednesdays were my favorite day of the week. I was like, why are Wednesdays the favorite day of your week? He said, Wednesdays were the days where I was off, and your mom was working, and grandma wasn't at the house. Wednesdays were the days where it's just you and me. <laughs> and I just got to hang out with you all day. <laughs> That's what Wednesdays were. <laughs> and it was funny because then we just kind of, my dad and I always kind of have some like funny communication stuff, but it was kind of funny because I just like watched him after that because I didn't know what to say. I'm like, oh, cool. Wednesdays are cool. Like, <laughs> I'm like, all right. Um, but he was looking at me and he just had this look in his eye and it was like, I kind of just felt like, as old as I am, and as much as we've walked through together, and as much as stuff has changed, part of me really thinks that when he looks at me, he still sees that little one-year-old kind of like walking around trying to figure stuff out, you know? And part of me still knows that like, he likes the time he has with me, you know? And for me, that was just one of the most significant things I've ever got watching a home movie. Because <laughs> I had no idea, I don't remember that. And it was so crazy that even after like, living every day under his roof, until I was an adult, I never knew that Wednesdays were his favorite <laughs> because that's the time he had with me. But it was something that he always remembered. <laughs> Tonight I'm talking about sonship. I'm talking about what it means to be children of God, sons and daughters. <laughs> when you accept Jesus into your heart, when you believe in faith that he died for us, that he rose for us, that he puts his Holy Spirit in us, that's all it takes for us to be sons and daughters. 
And I might use the phrase sonship tonight because I'm a man and female or male pronouns are just easier uh, for me. So if I say sonship, that can be daughtership. That can be children of God, <laughs> however you want. Um, but I'm talking about sonship tonight because that's just kind of what he talked to me about. And when I was praying about it all week, it was kind of a funny, a funny week for sermon prep. I felt like I really didn't have a good grasp on like, cool, I'm so honored to speak. I can't wait. I don't know what I'm talking about. Pastor Andrew was like, you should do sonship. I'm like, I should do sonship. So I started praying. I'm like, I don't know what to talk about sonship. Like, like I know quite a few things about it. You know, God's been good. He's taught me a lot. And that's awesome. But like, I was still like praying like, God, what do you want me to say about sonship? There's so much to sonship. What do you want me to do about it? Um, and I felt like most of the week it was like radio silent. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm just believing in faith and I'm going to be here every day praying and I'm just going to believe you have a word. Day two, I just feel like he says, Abraham. I'm like, okay, great. Perfect place to start. Abraham's great. Father of the faith. Like, he's legit. He had a son. I, I see what you're doing. Okay. I was like, what about Abraham, Lord? Abraham. No, no, I heard that part. What about Abraham? Abraham. All right. <laughs> Day three was me listening to sermons on Abraham. Day three was me reading through Genesis about Abraham. Then me going throughout the Bible for when they reference Abraham. Day five was, Lord, what about Abraham? <laughs> and I felt like all I got was Abraham. And that brings us to yesterday. <laughs> I was like, Lord, I've been praying all week about sonship. I've been praying all week, and you told me Abraham, and I'm believing for Abraham. What about Abraham? <laughs> I'm like, I'm out, of, I'm out of breath. I'm out of time. I don't, what, are you, what are you trying to tell me? I'm like, I'm like dreaming about Abraham at, one point, at this point. Like, what do you want to say? And last night, I felt like he was just like, maybe just look over here. I was like, all right. And then today, I, I, I kind of had a little bit more... Um, which was good. So that's where we're headed, and we're going to see what happens. <laughs> Abraham, the book of Genesis, starts out, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. He made us. He made everything. We messed that up. <laughs> Things get progressively more messed up. <laughs> he causes a flood to try, to try to start again a little bit and try to just... Get one man of faith and a righteous family and see if things could be a little better. We still kind of mess it up. <laughs> but after we mess it up, God already has a plan for redemption. He already has a plan to put us back into right relationship. He already has a plan for family. Adam and Eve didn't sin without God already having a way to bring us back to family. <laughs> It wasn't like Adam and Eve sinned, and then a couple thousand years later, he's like, oh, I guess I should send a son. Yes. <laughs> it was like before time began, I think it was, if my children fall, I will make a way for them to be children again. <laughs> so it begins with Abraham. In the mind of God, in the heart of God, he wants a way to bring his son into the world to live as fully God and fully man. But how do you birth someone that's fully God and fully man without actually being born? He needed a way to do that. <laughs> he needed a people. He needed, a, he needed someone <laughs> for Jesus to come from. And any people group that already existed 
that Jesus came from could always claim that, oh, we were his favorite. You know? We were the group. I guess we're just the best ones. So way back when God had a plan, he said, I'm going to make a people group out of nothing. <laughs> That's where Abram comes from. That's where Abraham came from. Genesis 11, we have a little bit at the end of like his lineage and the line from like Noah to Abram and how we got there. But in the years between, that family line got corrupted. They became an idolatrous people. <laughs> they worshipped great, like, graven images. They worshipped stone idols. They worshipped things that were not God. <laughs> they had no link to God left. There wasn't, there wasn't Bible written. <laughs> and after Noah, so much time had passed that no one even remembered that God. And that's when God chooses to speak. That's when God chooses to find this guy who in some ways is least likely. <laughs> He's the son in a culture that is completely clouded by idolatry, by pagan worship, by things that are so far from the actual God. <laughs> and all he says to this guy is, hey, follow me. Hey, leave everything you've ever known and be mine. <laughs> Genesis 12, 1 through 4 says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot, which was his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left. Out of a place where God was just seemingly absent, out of a place where the name of this God wasn't remembered, <laughs> we didn't have a people yet, God spoke and said, I guess I'll start here. <laughs> I guess I'll start with the least likely. <laughs> it was a dude trapped in a culture of idols, pagan worship. He was already 75 in a in a culture where legacy was everything, in a, in a culture where sons and just people that can work your land was everything, he was a 75-year-old man with a 74-year-old wife who could have no children. He was the lowest of the low, completely separate from this God. And this God shows up and says, hey, I want you to leave everything and go over here. I want you to leave everything else behind. I have plans for you. And this is my promise. If you go with me, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And even prophesy to Jesus when God says, every nation will be blessed because of you. Because in the heart of God, there was already that plan for redemption. There was already that plan of out of you if you're obedient, out of you if you follow me, out of you the most likely, I'm going to make something. I'm going to make a people group out of you that has never existed before. And your whole history will be characterized by God spoke and said, leave your people, deny your people, turn your back on everything you were because I'm starting something new with you. From the beginning of this people, from the beginning of this culture, from the beginning of this group, you will be mine. They will know that this group came, left everything and followed me and they became mine. So that when Jesus shows up, he can, you can say it was always his. <laughs> it was always God's line that sent his son. <laughs> And I think way back when he tells Abram, he thinks in his head, the only way to do that is if you leave everything, denounce everything, and just follow where I'm going. And I'm saying, go over here. 
In Genesis 15, the Lord gives him another promise. Again, this man who is without children. Again, this man who, after just hearing out of nowhere, this God that says, hey, leave everything you've ever known, he actually does it. He uproots his whole life. He uproots from his whole family, except for his nephew and his wife, and says, I'm going over here. And then what happens? He still doesn't have legacy. Then what happens? He still has the problems of everyday life. And so the Lord promises again. It says in Genesis 15, it says, Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. I love after, it was after Abraham took the step of faith. It was after Abraham actually followed the one little breadcrumb that this God gave him. That later on, God confirms it again. He says, you know that thing you've always wanted? A legacy, a son, an heir, position. <laughs> you know everything you ever wanted. Go outside and look at the stars. That's how many I'm going to give you. You're going to have more than you can even count. You're going to have more than you can even name. You're going to have the most. I'm going to make you into something. And what's so wild about Abram, it says he believed him. (laughs) And God says he counted that faith as righteous. So what happens later in the story? He actually has a son. (laughs) He has two sons, actually. But he has a son that the promise is for a son that the Lord meant for him to have, and he carries on that promise. And that son has a son. That son's name is Jacob. When God shows up in his life, he says, no, 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 your name is now Israel. Israel has 12 sons. (laughs) Essentially become the 12 tribes, essentially establish the Israelites, (laughs) the Jewish people, God's people. And it trickles down from that promise from Abraham. And I love in Exodus 4, 22, it says, Then you will tell him, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. This is a little bit later on. This is after this family line has grown and grown and grown exponentially until they are a big people group. Now they are a whole people. They are a culture. They just don't have an actual land. They don't have an actual nation yet. This is the time in Exodus when the Lord raises up Moses to get his people from slavery into the land he promised them, to actually establish a nation for them because he already has a people. (laughs) And I love in Exodus 4, it's the Lord talking about Israel and for the first time he says, Israel is my firstborn son. They're no longer just this random people. They're no longer just this, this thing I created out of nothing. They're actually my son. I see Israel as my family. It's something I created out of nothing, and it's mine. (laughs) Moses writes in Deuteronomy 7, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. I love this too. It's, It's Moses, through the Spirit, mining the heart of God to just reveal Hey, you're his prized possession. <laughs> you're not only his son, you're not only his family, you're someone he's, he prizes. You're his treasure. You're someone that he has taken apart for himself and says this, this right here, this group, more than any other group, 
this group is my family. This is mine. <laughs> and I just think it's wild, guys. I think it's wild that, 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 that the first time God wants to make a people group for himself, he started with just one man. <laughs> he started with one man that just seemed the most unlikely. That seemed the most like a failure or forgotten about. He was a 75-year-old with a wife that couldn't have kids. He had no kids of his own. And they worship idols in his house. <laughs> and God said, this is the guy. This is the guy I'm going to start with. And all he says is, I want you to leave everything and go where I'm going. And he does. And the Lord blesses him. And out of him, the Lord says, okay, this group is the one I set aside. This group is my family. And again, the point of that was so that one day he could bring Jesus. <laughs> the rest of the Old Testament is following the history of that one family that grows into that one people group, the people of Israel. You can trace the Old Testament, and it's all about the rulers, the kings of Israel, the way that this country divides itself and comes back together, but through the whole thing, they're actually God's people. <laughs> the Old Testament's filled with prophets, people just saying, this is what the Lord says is going to happen. This is what the Lord says about his people Israel. And this is what the Lord's saying about who's coming. Something I didn't know about the Old Testament until I actually read it was how much the Old Testament references Jesus. Because those of us who have read some of the Gospels only, maybe, you know, maybe you start there and that's the perfect place to start. But there's a part where Jesus actually says, hey, all scripture actually points to me. He goes up against the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees who say, hey, 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 we don't believe the Messiah can come like this. You don't look anything like it. And Jesus says stuff like, look, you cling to Moses and Abraham as if they can save you. But if you actually believe them, you'd believe me because they believe me. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Scripture actually points to me. And it actually does. You read the Old Testament after you understand parts of the New Testament and you realize that it's like the entire history of the world up until that point is just holding its breath, waiting to speak, Jesus is here. <laughs> and so then he shows up and you realize that the Lord made this people group just to bring his son, just to make us actually family. <laughs> you know? He sent his son fully God and fully man through the trials of life. <laughs> the king of kings who before time began was already around and full of glory and power and limitless. And he says, yeah, yeah I'm going to step down from glory because I need my family. <laughs> and I just think it's wild because it seems like this God could have established himself, born to royalty, born on the right side of the railroad tracks, born with the silver spoon in his mouth. But he has the king of glory born in a barn <laughs> after, after his mom couldn't even get a room at a hotel. <laughs> a pregnant woman couldn't even get a room at a hotel. The king was born in a barn in a feeding trough for animals. <laughs> and he says, this is how I start to get my family back. <laughs> And the crazy thing about this family is that Jesus grows up. <laughs> it's not like he pops down as an adult, jumps on a cross, dies. 
that would be powerful enough. <laughs> He'd still go through it all. But it was so much more than that. It was an actual life. <laughs> Jesus was 33 before he died. I don't think any of us here are that old. <laughs> think about your whole life. Think about this entire life you've lived. And realize that Jesus probably has about 10 more years than you. And then he died. <laughs> all that time. All those things you faced. And Jesus was born in Nazareth. In Bethlehem. And then grew up in Nazareth. <laughs> and I like how one of the disciples talks about Nazareth. Can anything good come out of there? What that tells me is that Jesus was born in a ghetto. <laughs> he grew up in the ghetto. <laughs> I don't think he was that well off. Isaiah prophesies about Jesus and says there was, nothing, there was nothing in his appearance that would necessarily draw us to him. He didn't even make himself George Clooney attractive. You know what I mean? Like, he could have he showed up and at least that would have given him some kind of edge. You know what I mean? He didn't even give himself that advantage. And I'm not saying he was ugly. I'm just saying there was nothing in his appearance that would be the draw. You know? He was born in the ghetto. He didn't have the best looks in town. His mom, all, all the public knew about his mom was that she got pregnant before they were, she was married. <laughs> yes, it was through the Holy Spirit. Yes, it was God. But how did the people in the ghetto think about that? <laughs> what kind of stories are they telling? What was his life like growing up? He goes up through all of that. He begins his ministry, makes this group of friends. The group of friends come up from seemingly nothing. He doesn't take the people that have studied the scriptures their whole lives. He finds fishermen doing their job and says, hey, hey, hey come with me. Fish for people instead, come with me. He calls people like a tax collector. Some of the most hated people at that time. He says, oh, your family. <laughs> I see you over there, come here. Your family, you're mine. He takes the unexpected, he takes the unlovely, and Jesus surrounded himself with these people, and he says, this, this is family. <laughs> and they're persecuted. <laughs> they're not the crowd favorites. Jesus would speak, and there's verses that say how the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the people, maybe the only people that should have been championing him are the people that said they, they just wanted to kill him. There's all these verses in the Gospels that say they just want to kill him. And Jesus is like, I'm over here making family. <laughs> he lives his whole life. He endures all these things. And then he dies. And then he comes back to prove that he wasn't playing around. <laughs> to prove that he meant business. To prove that his promise actually had power. Amen. He can't say, I'm going to die for everybody, but I'm actually going to come back. He can't say, I'm going to die, come back and leave you and give you this Holy Spirit and you're going to follow me. He can't do that and then die and not come back. <laughs> because then he's a crazy person or someone without the power to actually get the job done that he said. Do we actually believe our Lord is a man of his word? <laughs> he said before he died, he said all throughout his ministry, hey, I'm actually going to die. Hey, spoiler alert, I'm going to die. In three days, I'm coming back. Don't trip out. I'm actually coming back. I'm actually the Lord. I actually do what I say. So he actually comes back, and all of the people he's taught are like, what the heck? 
What's going on? It's a ghost. What? We didn't expect this at all, even though you told us over and over and over again. But he actually comes back. And he says, hey, I'm actually going to leave again, but I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you my actual spirit. I'm actually going to give you a part of God forever. And it's actually going to be better for you that I leave because then you'll actually be family. (laughs) It's better that I leave and send you the Holy Spirit because you'll have a helper that's always with you. You can actually do all of this with me. Jesus says, you're going to actually do greater things than me. (laughs) Jesus says that. And I don't want to believe it, but the last thing he told me was he was going to come back. So I think his stuff kind of holds up. (laughs) You know? He does all of it for family. What happens at that point? The fishermen, the tax collector, all these people that helped him out, they endure torture. They endure persecution. They endure everything for the sake of his name, for the sake of actually going out and doing the things he said, to actually tell people, hey, you can be family now. Because of what Jesus did, he says, I'm establishing family again. Adam and Eve messed it up in the garden, and since then, God has always wanted his family back. And after Jesus came, he said, okay, the family's now here. You can actually be children now. I can actually be with you forever. And his disciples, these nobodies, just like Abraham, these, these nobodies, these fishermen, these tax collectors, these people that were no one, become courageous, become unstoppable, become these people that are just these mouthpieces, these miracle movers, these people that can do all these great things. And they do it for him. They do it to spread the message that he said. And they die for him. And what happens with the message from the kid from the ghetto? It spreads across the world. Because his message has power. Because his name has power. Because this gospel has power. Because the actual truth that he wants to make family has power. So that when his followers get killed, they still multiply. So that when everyone that heard the message gets beaten and whipped and chained, more people in the jails get saved. More people in the courts get saved. More people in the streets get saved. And somehow when they kill all the disciples, it's bigger than ever. Because there's power. And I think it's incredible that he did this all for family. Another name for Christians is the Bride of Christ. We're not just sons and daughters. We're Jesus' wife. (laughs) I didn't come here just for kids. I came here for a bride. (laughs) He's not playing around. You know? I think it's wild. I don't even know if this is a message. I think this is just the gospel, but whatever. It's the best one. (laughs) Why am I talking about sonship? Because it was the plan from the beginning. If the Bible had the storyline... It'd be the storyline of how God wanted family, we messed it up, and God did everything to be family again. That's the Bible. I saved you 2,000 pages, but you should still read it over and over and over and over again for the rest of your life. But that's the storyline. Let me be the spark notes of the Bible. In the beginning, God created everything so he could have family. We blew that up on day three. God spends thousands of years to make it right and to have his family back. The end, everything that gets in the way of his family gets destroyed and he has his family forever. That's the Bible. 
How does he get his family? It's Jesus. How does he get his family back? God himself puts himself on the line and says, it's me you're getting. It's me that I'm giving up. It's me that I'm sacrificing for family. I'm not going to say I want my family back and do, do nothing about it. I'm not going to say I want my bride and not do anything about it. I'm not going to say I want my children and I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm going to say I want all of those things and I'm going to be the one that comes down to get it back. That's the Bible. <laughs> what does it mean to be a son? What does it mean to be a daughter? It means that we are finally plugging into the only story in all creation. <laughs> it means we're finally plugging ourselves in to the only thing that has meaning. <laughs> His whole story. If God had a story, this is the story. Sons and daughters means, hey, we're part of that story now hey, we're actually going to be what we were always supposed to be, which is sons and daughters. There's a part in the New Testament where he says, God wants that everyone should be saved. <laughs> he loves everybody. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> everybody. He loves the Muslim extremists that just blew themselves up. He loves the Westboro Baptist guy that's supposed to be in his name, but is kind of messing things up a little bit, although we want to forgive our brothers and sisters. Lord, help us. But he forgives everybody. He loves Donald Trump. He loves Hillary Clinton. He loves Bernie. He loves everything. He died for all of them. God's story is, oh, 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 oh. I wanted everyone to be family. <laughs> I died to have everybody as family. I didn't want anyone not to be family. The choice is theirs. I choose them, but it doesn't work unless they choose me. Because <laughs> it's not a biological Sons and daughters. It's adoption. <laughs> he's not going to let someone who doesn't want to be adopted, he's not going to force adoption on them. <laughs> but every single person that he says, I want to adopt you, who says, yeah, dad, I want to be adopted. Mm -hmm. so he says, I always wanted you to be my son. Mm -hmm. I always wanted you to be my daughter. Welcome to the family. This was always the plan. <laughs> What's crazy to me sometimes is that what God wanted from family, he picked the nobodies. He picked the anybodies. <laughs> Throughout the Bible, he doesn't just use the extraordinary. In fact, he usually uses the people that seem most disqualified. <laughs> or the people that seem the most qualified in one area, but are shamelessly <laughs> underqualified in the area, he's actually going to use them. Wow. And why does he do that? That's true. To be everything. If Abraham was already someone who worshipped God, who already had all his life together, who already had a million descendants, then when he made a nation for himself after having all these descendants, he made, maybe he didn't need God. <laughs> but if his wife was barren, if they couldn't have kids, if he was already an old man, if she was already past menopause, if they were already, if they were already up the creek and his life was basically on the back nine getting ready to end, if all this stuff was already going down, and the Lord says, hey man... Hey, hey, get away from that idol and hey, leave everything you've ever known and follow me. I'm going to give you more descendants than the stars in the sky. I'm going to give you everything. If he says that, then when that people group shows up, the fact that a, he didn't even have the kid until he was 100. Everywhere he went, how is that your actual son? How did this actually happen? There was a God who promised this. <laughs> and he does it all throughout the Bible. 
King David, one of the greatest kings Israel ever had, the, pe- the people of God ever had, this king. He was a shepherd who was forgotten by his whole family. <laughs> and God said, that's the guy. Go to this family, go to that field. They're going to show you like eight brothers that look like they have it all together. I don't want any of them. It's the guy they forgot about in the field. He's going to be one of the greatest kings this world's ever seen. He's going to be the man after my own heart. I want that one. He does it all throughout the Bible. He does it everywhere. And he makes them strong, and he gives them purpose, and he gives them life. And I think part of that, he just says, I want you for the family. There's no one who's unqualified to be family. I will qualify you. I will give you identity. I will give you purpose. I will give you everything you need to be, everything you ever meant to be. You just have to want me. (laughs) You just have to say, yeah. I just want to say one more, a couple, well, maybe maybe two more things. (laughs) The first thing is to understand as as sons and daughters of God, we get that because he (laughs) chose us. For that to be sealed, for us to actually be children, we have to choose him back, you know? Like I mentioned earlier, we remember? But it started with he chose us. He actually wanted us. What does that mean? There was no way I was going to be a son unless I was chosen to be. There was no way that any of you guys would ever actually be his sons and daughters unless he actually chose you first. Why is that powerful? I don't think I'm explaining it right. Why is this powerful? It's powerful because there was not a single thing you could do to earn it. There was not a single thing. It's not like if you have the dress code, if you're precisely this tall, if you have these grades, if you have this job, if you have this position, if you've only committed these sins, then you can be family. He just says, you can be family because I chose you to be family. It is independent of any, anything you are. It is independent of, of anything you do. It's independent of anything you've ever done. It's independent of how you've fallen short or how far you've succeeded. It's independent of everything. It's independent of what you look like. It's independent of what you feel like. It's independent of all the horrible things you've done or the best things you've done your whole life. It's literally contingent upon, I want to call you son. I want to call you daughter. If you want me to call you that, you're in. You did nothing to earn it. You can do nothing to get it taken away. What does it mean to be chosen as a son or daughter? What does that look like sometimes? I had this image and it was not that hard. I'm not making up some cool little uh, metaphor. I'm painting the most literal picture I can and it made me laugh. It was laughable. Because one of the, it, it's so simple. <laughs> he chooses us. If we choose him, we're in. That's not going to get taken away. If I'm a son or a daughter, I can't all of a sudden not be a son or not be a daughter. If I'm adopted, I can't just go back to being an orphan. My title doesn't change back to random kid on the street who had nothing. I'm always a son. Once I'm a son, I'm a son. <laughs> Once you're a son, you're a son. Once you're a daughter, you're a daughter. <laughs> and that's not going to slip through your hands because that is your new title. That is your new name. That is your new identity. Before anything else, before anything you ever do or ever make yourself, your new title, once you accept it, is son. Your new title is daughter before anything. Yeah. And that's just who you are. Mm-hmm. 
Why is it that the most important and the most simple thing about who we are is sometimes the biggest thing that gets attacked by the enemy or by others or by ourselves? Why is it that even though we've been Christians so long or however long, why is the first thing that gets attacked, I'm not good enough? I really messed up. What does that mean? I just don't feel like a son today. I don't feel worthy today. I don't feel beautiful enough to be your child today. I don't feel successful enough to be your child today. Maybe it doesn't come in those exact words. But how does it come? In the feeling of being inadequate. In the feeling of being at church, but like being like, oh, I don't think I have enough for that fake smile today. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be able to put on the right clothes to fit in with everyone else around me because I just don't feel like I belong here sometimes because of what I did here or what I thought over here or what I failed to do over here. What do those feelings, what do those thoughts sometimes mean? Sometimes it can go back to, I don't feel like I'm a son. I don't feel like I'm a daughter. I don't feel like I'm this thing that he says I am. And it ripples out from that. And the enemy can put a blindfold in front of our eyes all the time until we believe that. I'm going to share one of the worst things I've ever done with you. I was not playing on this. This is not in the notes, but this will work. When I was younger, I had a younger brother who was physically stronger than I was. So when we would fight, I would get the snot kicked out of me. But at the time, I was smarter than he was. So I would get him back psychologically. It was crueler. It was probably worse. How did that look like? He beat me up once. I convinced him that my parents weren't his parents. I actually convinced my younger brother that he was adopted, and we picked him up for a check every month and that people didn't love him. I know, it's the, one of the worst things I've ever done, and it's horrible, and I'm so sorry. But why do I share that? Because this is what the enemy does. The enemy will somehow convince us that God is not our actual dad, that our brothers and sisters are not our actual brothers and sisters, that somehow I'm not actually loved, that somehow I'm not actually wanted, that somehow I'm not who I actually am, which is a son which is a daughter. And we laugh about it. How can someone forget they're a son and a daughter? Ask my brother. <laughs> you know how I knew it stuck? Because he stopped crying and he didn't tell my parents for months. He just got sad. After dinner, he would just go into his room and stare at the wall. Yeah, it's horrible. He was convinced that he was adopted and that people didn't love him. He was convinced. Until one day it broke out on the dinner table because he's like, pass the broccoli. He's like, why am I not your son? And my parents were like, what? And they, like, who told you? And I feel like God does that. Like, I'm not your son. Who told you? And God, and like we point, it's like, it's the enemy. My brother points, like, that was Dominic. <laughs> but you know what? God has grace and he's renewed me and I'm good. I've repented. My brother's good. He's so loved. I love him. I pray for him every day. But man, this is a good picture. Oh, wow, I wish I would have thought this earlier. The point is, this happens. And what happens when you don't think you're an actual son? You feel weird around your family. You feel disconnected. You feel like you're not part of it. You get sad. You start not acting like a son. You start not acting like a sibling. And all it took was my parents saying, who told you? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. What do you mean you're not my son? Of course you're. My mom was like, 
My, my brother, okay, my brother's like four years old. My mom's like, I pushed you out of me. And my brother's like, what? And that was how my brother learned about the facts of life. That's not important. Except, what does that look like with us? What does that look like with us? Oh God, I'm not a son. All he does is point at Jesus. I made you my son. <laughs> what do you mean you're not a son? I can point exactly exactly to it <laughs> what made you my son what was the moment Jesus and even though I, I bet on some time on his end it looks like the most ridiculous thing in the world what do you mean you're not a daughter what do you mean I'm not, you're not a son we signed this paperwork already you've known you were my son you've known you were my daughter most of your life why'd you doubt that who told you and even though it's ridiculous it can cause some of the deepest pain of our life because we can actually believe it. I want to share one more thing and I think I'm done. <laughs> Why it's so important to actually remember what sonship looks like is because the enemy will try to take it. <laughs> and then we can fail to operate as everything we're supposed to be, which is just sons and just daughters. I love how Jesus talks about the kingdom. He talks about the prodigal son. I just want to read a little bit about that. It's out of Luke 15, verses 11 through 20-ish. He's going on. He says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he, had, he said to himself, At home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both you and heaven, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me as a servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. His father said to his servant, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. The thing about the prodigal son I never figured out until today was that I treated the prodigal son as if it was like, that was my way in the world before coming to Jesus. And when I came to Jesus, the Lord accepted me as a father. Today, God said, to me, the first line was, the father had two sons. He was already a son. <laughs> the prodigal son is a story about a son who knew he was a son, who grew up as a son, who knew his father, who then turned his back and said, I'm just going to live however I want. Then he bankrupted himself. Then he realized he had nothing, and then he came back. And he repents, and he turns back. But while he was still really far away, that father came and ran to him. He put a robe on his, on his back, a ring on his finger. That ring probably had the house crest on it. 
all of the things, the robe, the ring, the sandals, they were ways to identify this man who just ran off the streets toward the house, this dude that was dirty in a pigsty he made of his life. The, the robe, the sandals, the ring, it was all to identify them. That's my son right there. That is the royal robe. That is the family crest. Those are my shoes. As soon as he turned back, the first thing the father does is run to him and give him every reminder that this is my son. And not just for him, but for everyone around him to see, hey, I don't want them to ever mistake you for anything that's not my son. Mm -hmm. The first thing I'm going to do when you're back and you realize that you should be home with me, that you should be with me, that you should be with family, the first thing I'm going to do is give every reminder that you're actually my son. Notice that the father doesn't even rebuke him. Notice that the father didn't wait for him to come groveling in through the doggy door. It says, while he was still far out, the father ran to him, which in that culture was so indignified for a father to do. That father didn't care. Good fathers don't care. If your son came back, you're running. The first thing he does is give everything of his to say, they need to all know that you're family. They need, you need to know that you're family. I don't care about the pigsty you made of your life because you already were coming back to me. I'm not going to waste time with that. In fact, I'm going to talk over you to say, hey, let's start the party because you're back and you're my son. He doesn't even get into a dialogue about it. All his actions say, I want you to remember you're my son. The prodigal son is not just a picture about people that have never met God. It's a picture of sons and daughters who've forgotten. <laughs> it's a picture of sons and daughters who have wandered. It's a picture of sons and daughters who even momentarily forget and try to do other ventures that's outside of family <laughs> and find themselves losing stuff. <laughs> that find themselves losing their way, that find themselves losing what they hold dearest to. The prodigal son is about that dad. Jesus says the kingdom's like this. <laughs> that's him saying, this is that same story. <laughs> the story that says it's all about my family. <laughs> God, sometimes when we say the word God, we can think of this weird abstract spiritual icon or something that we can forget that this God, the only God, the actual God, has real attributes, has real character, you know, has real characteristics, has real traits. Do we realize that this God, the one God, the only God, our God, is the God of family? <laughs> is the God who every good father, who every good mother, who every good relationship is just a shadow that's come out of his. That every good and perfect thing, this is the God it's all come from. Jesus says, I want you to know what this kingdom is like. It's like a father that does everything, that when their children look at him, he just says, I want you to remember first that you are mine. <laughs> You're my family. You need to know that. They need to know that. Your family. This message is just about sonship. It's about being children. It's about being family. But I really feel like the heart of God for tonight was that it's just a reminder. <laughs> it's a reminder that the most ridiculous thing the enemy could try to say to you is that you're not family. That somehow because of your failing, somehow because you've dirtied yourself, because of somehow you've misstepped, because of something, you've somehow lost who you are. Something that's never could be taken away because it was never something you could reach up and grab for yourself. It was something that was given because you were chosen. 
You know another picture that this is like? It's literally like a little like toddler being pushed in a little car seat and a total stranger coming up and being like, those aren't your parents while the dad's right there. And it's like, what are you talking about? But it happens and it wrecks our lives <laughs> or it causes us to spiral or it gives us anxiety or it turns our whole life inside out. And it goes back to this root issue that somehow we feel like we can disqualify ourselves from the cross. <laughs> that somehow we're not good enough to be sons and daughters. <laughs> we never were, but he made it so because he chose us. <laughs> I love that phrase. How do you know how valuable something is? By how much someone's willing to pay for it. If God paid everything, if God paid himself for you, you're the most valuable thing. <laughs> what makes you qualified that God said you're qualified what makes you chosen God says you're chosen there's nothing you need more than that there's no other affirmation you need more than that there's no other loving words from someone that you need more than that that's all you need to be chosen is him saying I choose you So I just want to spend a couple minutes. Um, it's getting late. I appreciate you guys. This was super scattered. But uh, maybe we can get some low house music in the background. I just want to spend a couple minutes, guys, because I want to just end how I started this message, which was thinking about those home movies. And I'm thinking about my dad who just said, Wednesdays were my favorite because they were just the time I had with you. And I think after a talk like this, there's a God that just says, I just want time with you because it's my favorite. Because your week has been really hard. Because you've been under attack. Because you've believed lies. Because you've let things hurt you and disqualify you and weigh you down. And I just want time with you because it's my favorite. It's my time right now to put that robe back on you, to put that ring on your finger, to put those sandals on your feet and remind you that you're mine. That's my favorite time. That's my whole story. <laughs> That's everything. So we just thank you, God. Good work. Hey. <laughs> cool.